0: is it fair to twine ethnographic reports and details with archaeological sites that are up to three thousand years old we have raised that question several times in discussing artifacts and behaviors that are far older than that generally speaking It is dangerous to assume that behavior that was common a couple of centuries ago was the same or very similar to behavior that is older by tens of millennia. If there is, however, any place where it seems particularly legitimate, it is Australia where modern human beings found many straightforward ways to subsist in many salubrious but more quite hostile environments. Developing skills that were by no means simple, but certainly sufficient, and feeling little need to improve the economic or material ways of their lives turned their creativity to the invention of fabulously rich stories, wondrous art painted on and etched into the rock, and other ways of celebrating their existence. Such societies do not change much over time because they don't need to. Traditional societies tend to operate on the principle of doing things the way their grandparents did it. They are conservative, given to the notion that, as we say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. One can easily imagine the aboriginal men of base point sniffing contemptuously at the shell hooks and the laboriously made strings that their women were using making invidious comparisons of their of those little toys compared with their mighty multi-pointed barbed aerodynamic spears and other large instruments real men did not line fish but once the europeans came and introduced far more effective metal fishhooks the aboriginal men took up line fishing with alacrity the way a man might absolutely require a harley after years of riding a bicycle 10 seamstresses of the far north in which women make complex stuff to permit people to venture north of the polar circle as well as into the new world. The poet Stanley Kunitz remarks that, quote, the iron door of the north clangs open, unquote, and life spreads southward along with a cold wind, but that is not really how it was. For most of the last million or so years of the Pleistocene, The iron door of the north remained closed, some of it buried under the unimaginable tonnage of glacial ice that arrhythmically pulsed southward, retreated, and pulsed southward again, over and over. Where the ice did not cover the ground in the far north, the climate was too severe by far, for any tropical or subtropical organism to approach it. As long ago as 500,000 years ago, some hominids, people or not quite people, depending on your taste in such matters, but nevertheless creatures designed by and for a subtropical lifestyle would take advantage of any warming trend, any glacial retreat, and push northward. Why they did this no one knows, neither probably did they, except to follow the familiar. Signs of habitation by none other than Homo erectus have been found much farther north than one would imagine, them venturing we find their tools in the upper cave of zucodian near peking rather pecking some 500,000 years ago along the banks of the Lena River in Yakutia in Northeast Siberia and in Boxgrove England they penetrated as far as 60 degrees north not far from the zone where the world goes completely dark for part of the winter. But these ventures never led to anything like a permanent settlement. They were adventurous and opportunistic ventures into areas where during the much warmer and wetter interstadial periods when the glaciers receded, the climate could be as mild as these areas are today, and indeed even milder. The visitors to Boxgrove a half million years ago saw hippos wallowing in the Thames. Later, Neanderthals moved north as well, developing short, stocky bodies that conserve heat reflecting adaptations for living in cold climates. But the Neanderthals were hardly equipped for what lay beyond the Iron Door of the North. The body design that maximized volume and minimized the amount of body surface exposed to frostbite was not enough, even with the benefit of controlled fires and hides to snuggle in. When the oddball times of warmth gave way to another southward pulse of the great ice, the Neanderthals, too, fled back to more southerly regions. It was not just the cold that drove these ancient hominids and Neanderthals out. Though the northern landscapes were bone-chillingly frigid for most of the year, On the East European Plain, during the last glacial maximum about 20,000 years ago, the mean January temperature was 30 to 40 degrees Celsius, while the temperature in the brief three-month growing season of summer could rise to 18 degrees Celsius, a tremendous fluctuation. These northern regions could not have been more different from what confronted the seafaring people of what is today Malaysia when they arrived on the shores of Australia. The aboriginal Australian colonists, however, many times groups arrived and went back, or stayed and died out, or eventually stayed for good, found a tropical land hardly different from what they had left behind it would have been their descendants who much later would have to have learned to cope in the desert in the northern region of eastern europe and russia the combination of the cold the aridity mostly most moisture being locked up in ice or permafrost and the huge distance from the moderating influence of the Atlantic Ocean added up to an extreme seasonal variability in which food was available in boom or bust cycles. The growing season, while extremely short, was highly productive of the kind of vegetation that could feed huge herds of gregarious herbivores Horses, bison, reindeer, mammoths, and boars, waterfowl teemed in the lakes and rivers. The trick for humans was to harvest the incredible seasonal bounty and to store food for the long cold season, either as portable pemmican or in underground larders. Life in such a bipolar world called for a whole bag of cultural tricks involving both new technologies and new social arrangements. To begin with, they might have been able to survive in parts of the North by just throwing a cloak over themselves, as the Yaghan and Ona peoples of Tierra del Fuego did, but a far more expeditious expeditious means for living in the far north was to have tailored clothes and this means that a great number of things had to be invented first sewing for example some of the oldest eyed needles were, we know of come from a site called denisova cave in the Altai mountains of southern siberia near the juncture of Russia, Kazakhstan, and China. Someone was sowing in that cave some 37,000 years ago, but it is not at all clear who. Denisova is a small cave, unsuitable for any sort of semi-permanent dwelling. In fact, most caves aren't suitable, being dark, damp, and available as horror harborage for carnivores but if caves are found to be carnivore free they make fine places to spend a night or two on a hunting trip Pleistocene Motels Today no native hunter in the north sets out without a needle or two in in his toolkit so he can patch up a tear in his parka at temperatures tens of degrees below zero when even a small rip in one's outer clothing can bring on frostbite or worse probably the needle of at Denisova cave was part of a hunters traveling toolkit he was almost surely wearing a set of clothes with feet attached to the legs and we can also be sure that his clothes were manufactured in the first place at some home base by a woman or women in his family signs of clothes can be seen in some burials which in this late pleistocene period became more elaborate elaborate in many cases and unquestionably deliberate At a site called Sungir, northeast of Moscow, archaeologists came across a double grave that proved to be more than 22,000 years old. The grave had been dug into the permafrost, no simple chore, and contained the skeletons of two children placed head to head, one female, the other arguably male. Almost 5,000 beads covered the male in positions that suggest that they were attached to close-fitting clothing. In addition, some 250 fox teeth formed what appears to have been a belt and the body was accompanied by ivory carvings and highly polished human femur. The female was covered with more than 5,000 bead fragments also presumed to have been attached to clothing and accompanied by ivory lances antler wands and other objects archaeologists estimated that the beads had required thousands of hours to manufacture never mind sewing them into the clothes in all the sungir burial suggests ritual and a notion of some sort of afterlife, which both women and men were destined to enter. Thus attired people were reaching as far north as the Arctic by thirty five thousand years ago. Their artifacts have been found in a site called Ma Montovaya Curia dating to that period. Just above the Arctic Circle, a thousand miles north of Moscow, 10,000 years later, people had penetrated 500 miles above the Arctic Circle to 70 degrees north. Such extreme forays did not lead to a permanent settling of the Arctic, but they do show that with the newly invented technological arrangements permitted people to attempt These extreme northern sites were mere outliers, almost oddball efforts as peoples spread both north and east in Europe and Asia.